before our Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, sanctify us, that is, make us holy by your word, for your word is truth. Amen. Grace, mercy, and peace be yours from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I am a pastor. Um, when I fill out official forms that ask for an official title, <laughs> reverend goes before my name. I went to a school, a high school, called Luther Preparatory School, and that school's sole mission was to prepare young men and young women uh, and encourage them to think about being in full-time public ministry. When I graduated from high school, I went to a school called Martin Luther College, a, a Bible college, and I studied there. And my major? Biblical languages. After graduation, I went to a seminary where for four years, over the course of four years, I studied all the books of the Bible in their original language. I systematically studied the doctrines of the Bible. I studied church history. And I took classes about preaching and church leadership and, and church counseling too. When I graduated from the seminary, I, I got a degree that sounds more like something you'd get at Hogwarts. It's called a Master's of Divinity, but there's nothing really math. It took 12 years, actually. The thing perhaps is, well, it, it took time. It took 12 years, actually. Four years if you count high school, four years in college, and four years at the seminary. And now, I am a pastor. And if that doesn't sound crazy enough, what I'm going to say to you next might sound, well, even more ridiculous. Watch out for people like me. Be very, very wary of people like me. You know who I'm talking about. The guys, some of them wear white robes and have a Jesus piece hanging around their neck. Others wear black shirts and have the white collar and, well, still others maybe dress a little more casual. But either way, watch out for those, those people who, who call themselves pastors and who ask other people to call them pastors. Watch out for them because with their, with their smooth rhetoric and getting up in front of groups of people and, and using fancy words like sanctification and justification and resurrection and evangelism and words that nobody else uses, they will eventually say to you, believe me, believe what I am telling you. Oh, watch out for people like that. Be careful. But then again, don't take my word for it. No, take Jesus' words. In fact, take his words from our sermon lesson this morning. Our sermon lesson this morning actually comes from a very famous sermon that Jesus preached, a sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. It encompasses chapters 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew's gospel. And while there are a hundred different topics that Jesus brings up during that sermon that we could preach a sermon on, today we're going to just look at part of it. We're going to look at Jesus' closing remarks. And as Jesus preaches to his disciples, our, our gospel lesson this morning is going to be a little bit lengthier than normal. What I, what I want you to do is listen and look 
at how many different word pictures that Jesus, the master preacher, uses as he closes out this famous sermon. We read from Matthew chapter 7, and would you please stand as we honor the words of our Savior. Preaching to a large group of Jesus' disciples, he said, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and and many will enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into a fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy to you in in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Well, then, then I will say to them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. The rain came down, the stream rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the stream rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. These are the words of our Lord. You may be seated. To close out his sermon, Jesus doesn't slow down. And doing what only Jesus can, Jesus, in fact, closes with, with quite, quite the command. He says, it's my way or the highway. He says, yeah, there's a road and it's wide and it's got lots of lanes and lots of different ways and lots of different opinions, but that road, oh, it leads to destruction. He said, my way, my road, it's narrow. The gate, it's narrow. Enter it. And on the other side, there's life. Jesus said, yeah, there's going to be prophets. And when we talk about prophets today, we're not talking about guys named Jeremiah or Isaiah or Ezekiel or true things or any person, a pastor or otherwise, who say things, true things or things they think are true about God. He said, yeah, there's going to be prophets. There's going to be people who claim I'm all about God's way. But Jesus said they're not. They're doing their own thing. I don't don't know them. They're wolves in sheep's clothing. So what should you do? Jesus says, build your house on the foundation, on the rock, not on shifting sand. 
This is God's word to a group of his disciples as he closed out. And in short, Jesus summarizes what we should be considering really all the time in our life. And, that, and that's this question. If you're following along on our sermon guide on page 8, here's our first fill in the blank. Jesus' words as he closed out his, his sermon on the mount ask us to consider who do I listen to when it comes to matters of spirituality and life? Who has the authority? What is it that I am building my spiritual house on? Am I I headed in the right direction? Is the foundation built on the right stuff? You know, it's a good question to ask because there are a lot of questions. Well, even among Christian churches, there's a lot of questions. I mean, what do we believe about creation? Is it literally what Genesis 1 and 2 says? Is it what others say about evolution? Or is it something in between? And well, can women be pastors or can't they? Should we baptize babies or not? And when we baptize adults, should we baptize them by dunking them underwater? Or should we use a bowl? And how does God feel about homosexuals and How does he feel about marriage and divorce and remarriage? Well, if I'm baptized, if I'm saved, can I, am I good? Or is there a chance that I could fall away? And what does God say about Christians and and how they use alcohol? Can we? Should we gamble? Should we celebrate Halloween? Should, can Christians get tattoos? You see, there are a lot of things that that fall into the the realm of spirituality that intersect with our life. And it's no secret, not everybody agrees on the same answer. Well, it's it's why your your cousin or your family member goes to a non-denominational church and you don't. And, well, your parents go to another church. It's why you have one neighbor who's Catholic and another one who's Presbyterian. And well, even though we're reading the same Bible, well, we disagree on things. That's why everyone knows at the office Bob's a Baptist and Patricia's pre- Presbyterian. But why? Well, this morning, I'm going to do something that I've never, never done before in a sermon, never planned to do in a sermon. In fact, um, never really planned to do again in a sermon. That, and that's to talk about other Christian churches. Why? Well, well, first, why did I never plan on it and do I never plan on it again? Well, because when you talk about them, it, it may come across as, as seeming judgmental. And we know that God's word says we shouldn't judge others, right? In fact, in this same sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, in 15 verses prior to what we read today, Jesus said that famous words, right? Don't judge lest you be judged. But then he gets to our lesson, and well, this is what he says. He says, by their fruit, you will recognize them. And then he goes on to list kinds of fruit and how we recognize them. And he says, thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Well, first of all, who's them? Them are prophets. Prophets, anybody who says a thing about God's word. And, and what are their fruits? Well, it's simple. It's, it's a prophet's message. It's what they say about what God says. It's by their message you can recognize them. So as we look at what other Christian churches say and and what they don't say, we're not judging people's hearts. We're not judging people's faith. 
We're not making a determination on whether they're going to be in heaven or not. We're not judging the morality of their lives. No, we're comparing what God says with what they say. Because it's rather striking. Um, But sociologist uh, Jeffrey Haben put out a poll to 10,000 pastors in the United States. Let me say that again. 10,000 pastors. And he asked them a pretty straightforward question. He said, do you believe that the scriptures are the inspired, that is what Timothy, excuse me, Paul said in his letter to Timothy, do you believe that it is God-breathed? The inspired and inerrant, without error, word of God in faith, history, and secular matters. And this is what he got back from 75% of those 10,000 who answered. 95% of Episcopalian pastors said no. Just behind that, 87% and 82% of Methodists and Presbyterians said no. 67, excuse me, 77% of American Lutherans that is today part of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America said no. 67% of American Baptists said no. And 24% of Missouri Synod Lutherans said no. And if it makes it even more startling, this poll was conducted 30 years ago. Do you think the numbers would change? And if so, how might they change today? The majority of many major Protestant denominations, many many of the pastors in them, don't believe that God's word is what God's word claims to be, inspired by God, without error. Well, why? Well, even, even though the cause or the reason is, is really quite insidious, it's, it's actually quite simple. You see, everybody, every single person, pastor, church body, Christian, or otherwise, everyone establishes what they believe by building on a foundation. And there's really only four foundations, if you will, four types of material that one can build on. And this isn't just uh, church people that think this. Other sociologists looked at this and said, you can build what is authoritative, what your belief structure is based on, based on scripture. You can do it based on tradition and what uh, the church history says. You can do it based on personal experience, personal emotions, or you can do it based on logic and reason. Four foundations for building beliefs. In a nice and concise article, um, a pastor uh, named James Hine um, said this about churches that fall along these camps. He gave these descriptions. And he, he gave these descriptions based on what I call fruit research. That is, he took official declarations of what we believe, what our message is from church bodies, and he, he compared them to with God's word. And this is what he found. He found that there are some churches um, that value God's word, say God's word is important, it's a blessing. But so is church tradition and, and history. And we have certain doctrines that we keep up, doctrines that say that our leaders are infallible. And that means that 
well, what they say is true. It is, it's God's word. But that creates a problem, don't you see? Because if above God's word, what he says is on par with or equal or even above God's word, you, you can't have both Bible and church history. Because either the leader is perfect, which scripture clearly claims no one is perfect, and such churches would even agree with that. Either the leader is perfect, or the Bible is imperfect. And the Bible attests over and over again that it's not. Some churches build on tradition. Other churches build on on personal experience, emotions. They, they really value spiritual giftedness in individuals. But perhaps they overemphasize it and they're more concerned about what the Spirit lets you do instead of what Christ did. They're more concerned with how you feel and what the Spirit is moving you and leading you to do with what God's Word says is true and what God's word says you should do. Because we know that emotions, well, they go up and down. And, and this is kind of a ex- scary place to live because there's some days, and nod your head if you agree, where I feel like a great Christian. I really feel like the best Christian in the world. And then there's other days where I feel like a heathen and maybe even the worst heathen. And if I build on just my emotions, well, what do I have left to fall back on? Well, there's other church bodies that say, you know, fooey to, you know, flaky feelings. And it's about reason. It's about using your head. It's about logic. And God's word is a blessing and we have that. But we also know that God's word, well, it won't say anything that we can't understand, right? They say that, you know, in fact, they insist that God's word, it has to make sense. Otherwise, well, we can't believe it. That's all fine and well until you get into things like what God's word says about the Trinity, the triune God, that the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are three persons, yet one God. Or you try to make sense of and explain how it is that Jesus says what he means that his body and blood are really in with and under the bread and wine. Well, it's all good until you try to, you know, figure out that God does. He chooses, he predestines people to go to heaven, but he doesn't predestine people to go to hell because scripture clearly says God wants all people to be saved. Oh, the church comes up with really good sounding reasonable explanations, but they're not in scripture. And then there are churches still that only value scripture. They, they sure, they respect church's history, they respect traditions, but the traditions don't have any bearing on, on what we believe. There's churches that honor, honor the experience of, of the church and, and the emotions and the feelings of people and, and, and what God is doing through people who are in the church, but we also know that, well, sometimes people can fail, and they do. And there's, and there's churches like this that value Scripture, but also reason, but we know that, well, you know, reason 
is a gift from God and, and it's not on the same level with God. So there are some things that God asks us to just accept by faith. So why go through this? Why, why look at what other churches say about what the Bible says? Well, it's not really about the other churches. It's, it's about us. My prayer today is that each and every one of us leave here as, as spiritual home inspectors. That each and every one of us can go out of here and knowing the foundations on which people build their beliefs you and I can look at a book that we read and pick up on Amazon or an article that our friend posts on Facebook and we can read it and we can go, this is, this is good. This is based on what scripture says or no. This, this writer, though they are talking God language, they're really basing all their facts on, on their feelings, on their emotions. My prayer is that you can be a spiritual home inspector and you can go and listen to your favorite podcast speaker preach a sermon and you can listen to it discerning. Is what this pastor preaching based on God's word or is it based on his understanding, his logic, his reason? Well, and I pray that you even do it here. You inspect this church, this spiritual home. You leave here and you say, yeah, you know, pastor, thanks for preaching today. And yeah, that's what God's word says. Or is it what God's word says? But ultimately, my prayer is that you all can be spiritual home inspectors on your hearts. And ask yourself, what am I building my belief structure on? Is it scripture? Is it feelings? And before we jump up and down and say, yes, we, we are the church that builds on scripture alone. They they are the wolves out there who, who are building on sand, on shifting sand. Well, you know the corny saying, right? When you point one finger, there's three pointing back at you. And in fact, Jesus said it much more originally and much more cooler in his Sermon on the Mount. He says, you know, don't, don't go picking at the speck in your neighbor's eye when you have a plank in your own eye. You think about it, here's, here's a question for all of us to consider. Are you sola scripture, scripture only, or are you sorta scripture? Are you sola scripture, or are you just sorta scripture? Because you, you know who you are. I mean, you are the one who, who grew up in the church. You've been around Christianity your whole life. And maybe you haven't said it, but you've thought it like, oh, no, no, no. That's, that's the way we've always done things around here. And what you've done is, well, you're elevating tradition to the place of Scripture. What, what is making your decisions for you? Is it what God's Word says or what the church's tradition has been? Or, or maybe... You're that person, and, and well, you know who you are. Where If church doesn't seem fun, if church doesn't make you feel good, well, I don't, I don't want to go. And you know what? Maybe I haven't taken communion for a while, but well, I just wasn't feeling it. You base your feelings more so than what God's Word says. Or maybe... Maybe you're that person that, that knows 
what God's word says. You, you grew up in the church, but then you got some education. You got some education at a school or in the school of hard knocks, and now you know that, well, this, is, this seems more reasonable. And all of a sudden you start questioning creation. You start questioning, well, that really doesn't make sense that, that Jonah would be eaten and spit out by a fish. And then you start questioning, well, all things that seem miraculous, well, including the idea of a resurrection. You see, when you are sort of scripture and also sort of tradition, what you're really doing is, is creating a religion, and call it Christianity if you will, that is made up of your rules so that you can do the teachings and the, and the practices that you like. And when you're, you're sort of scripture and also sort of feelings, well, what kind of life are you living? What kind of Christianity do you have going up and down, in and out, yes and no? When you're sort of scripture and also sort of reason, you're going through scripture like you're going through the buffet line just picking out the things that make sense to you, the things that you like, and you do that long enough, you, you, you act like a picky eater or a picky reader long enough, eventually, what's left? Are you sola scripture or are you sorta scripture? Because you can't be both. Jesus finishes out his parable, uh, or excuse me, his sermon with this parable. Jesus says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. I thought I knew the answer, but this week, as I was studying this section of scripture, getting ready for our sermon, I, I just had to ask. So I sent off an email uh, to our member, to my friend Melissa, who her and her husband Don, they work for Ryan Homes, so they know a thing or two about building a house. And I asked them, I said, what would happen if a home built today just didn't have a foundation? Well, it's interesting. M Melissa's email didn't talk about, well, in high winds or when it rains or when a disaster happens. No, what she said was very simple that, well, soil shrinks and it swells every season. It does that every time there's precipitation. And so no matter what, it would cause shifting. It would cause the structure of the house to crack and eventually it would fall. Jesus' point in his parable is simple. Traditions change. Emotions shrink and swell. And if you've ever forgotten a phone, where your phone is, or lost your keys, or forgotten a name, you know your, your reason isn't reliable. And yet, is that what we want to build our house on? You know, this, this parable 
His words are simple. He said, build on the rock. Build on Christ, the solid rock. Build on the chief cornerstone that the builders rejected but is here. Build on me. You know, if you didn't already know, this, this church is a confessional Lutheran church. That, that means two things. It means, one, we are Lutheran, and that means we believe the things, the teachings that came out of the Lutheran Reformation, that we are saved by grace, God's undeserved love alone. We are saved through faith alone, not our works, but Christ's work. And we believe in sola scripture, that is, scripture alone as the only source of authority and rule in our life and in our doctrine And what it means to be confessional is it means that we stand for something and that something is really what we stand on. And that's God's word. But can I tell you, can I tell you what I love about being Lutheran? It's really got nothing to do with the fact that I went to three schools that have Lutheran in the title. It's it's got nothing to do with the fact that we're celebrating the 500th anniversary of the Lutheran Reformation. What I love is, is that in the life of Martin Luther, I see an example about why, why sola scripture matters, why it's important. 25 years after Martin Luther pounded the 95 theses on the church door in Wittenberg, his 13-year-old daughter, Magdalena, got sick. And Magdalena's posing for this picture much like I'd imagine any 13-year-old would. Um, But her parents got concerned because Magdalena got more and more ill and they were worried. They were worried about her, but they were also worried because they knew what it was like to lose a child. Years earlier, um, Katie, Luther's wife, and Martin, they buried their eldest daughter, Elizabeth, and They didn't want to do that. They didn't want to do that again, so they prayed endlessly to God that he would help Magdalena, that he would heal Magdalena. But she didn't get better. And in the arms of her father, she died. And as as a recent parent, I I don't know what that would be like. And you who have been parents, I, I know you can't imagine what that would be like. Not to make light of it, but Friday night, while I was holding Julian and giving him a bath by myself without my wife's help for the first time, he dove for it and bumped his head, and I, I felt sick. What do you think the thoughts were going through Martin Luther's head, the reformer, the man who dedicated his life to God, the man who literally put his life on the line for God, the man who reformed a church for God, who who studied God's word endlessly. What do you think was going through his head? God, you could have healed her. You've done it before. Why didn't you? Well, in fact, those weren't the thoughts going through his head at all. In fact, we get an insight into what he was thinking because for his daughter's funeral, Martin Luther wrote a poem. Let me read just a little bit. He said this, he said, I, Luther's beloved girl, sleep among the saints of this world and lie here here at peace and rest, for now I am our God's own guest. A child of death, I was, it's true, from mortal seed, my mother bore me through, but now I live and am rich with God, and so I thank Christ's death 
and blood. I mean, how is it that a father with a broken heart can at his, at his daughter's funeral say thank you? How is it that Katie and Luther could, could say I am now rich with God? It's because they didn't stand on tradition. They didn't stand on reason. They didn't stand on their emotions, their feelings during a time like that or ever for that reason. They stood on scripture alone. Had they stood on tradition, they would have, would have believed in a, in a teaching that has changed over time about purgatory, that their daughter when she died went somewhere but not heaven or hell, somewhere in between. But because they stood on scripture alone, well, they believed this and could rejoice in this with Job, with Magdalena, and with you and I that I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end, he will stand on the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh, I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes. I and not another. Ooh, how my heart yearns within me. A message a message of Christ's victory that is found in one place and one place alone, Scripture. Oh, during a time like his daughter's death, Luther got emotional. His friends wrote about it. Luther wrote about it, how it crushed him for some time. Oh, but he didn't obsess over that experience. He didn't get caught up in those emotions. Why? Because instead he got obsessed with and caught up in these words that God says, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. That's how he handled his emotions. That's how he handled this experience and that's how he guided his daughter through this experience. The story goes that it's written down that Martin Luther sat at his daughter's bedside and says, do you want to live here with your father? And she said, yeah. Do you also want to live with your father in heaven? And because Magdalena knew scripture and knew to stand on scripture alone, she looked at her dad and said, if my father wills it. Scripture alone. Yeah, Luther could have asked for a reasonable explanation, and which so many do. God, why? Why God? Why me? Why now? Why my second daughter? And he could have really wrestled for that reason and tried to figure it out, but he knew this. He knew that God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As high as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Oh, God says this in scripture, and it is so, so good. Because my mind and your mind could not conceive of the plan that God executed and carried out to make people like me and you, who are so often wolves, a part of his flock. To make people like you and me his sons and daughters, so that now what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, these things God has prepared for those who love him. This message of the gospel is revealed in scripture alone. It comes to us by grace alone. It is yours by faith alone. My friends, believe this. 
But then again, don't take my word for it. Go see what God's word says. Amen.